Welcome to the Center for International and Regional Studies at Georgetown University in Qatar. These podcasts are part of a research initiative titled Building a Legacy, Qatar FIFA World Cup 2022. Welcome to the final episode of this podcast series. In this show, we turn the tables and interview the show's host, Dr. Daniel Reiche, visiting associate professor at Georgetown University in Qatar and the faculty lead of the CRS project on building a legacy Qatar FIFA World Cup 2022. The project was launched in October 2020, which was deep into the first year of the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, over two years later, we'd like to hear your thoughts on the project overall, as well as the World Cup itself. So can you just give us an overview of the project, the original motivation and the main pillars? Yeah, first of all, hi, Zuzi. Um, so oh, I, I forgot to say who I was. I am Susie Murgani, editor at CIRS, Georgetown University in Qatar. Exactly. Thank you. <laughs> and, well, I joined uh, Georgetown um, in uh, summer 2020, uh, and the pandemic had just started. So um, this was something we had to, uh, to consideration when we developed this project. And so we decided to, to have a web-based project and um, we could build on the COVID project that had been developed in, in Sears. And you might be able to better talk about that than me. Uh, but I think the main pillar of that was like to discuss politics and society around the pandemic um, via block entries, right? And um, so building on that experience, we developed a web-based project, but not only because of the pandemic, but also because the World Cup is a global event and we wanted to have something that's accessible for people all around the world. So um, we also had a blog like the COVID project and we uh, had a lecture series, um, which was at the beginning online and um, out of the 10 lectures, the last three we could finally do in person. And we produced a podcast, this podcast, and I think this was like a first time for all of us. Um, I've never done a podcast before. Um, and I don't I'm think not... any of us did a podcast before. Like right. Most people in the world took up podcasting during the pandemic period. And us at Georgetown, this was our first project to ever do a podcast. And people might laugh about me, but um, I had never heard a podcast before. <laughs> but since then, I became a podcast addict. So Excellent. it became like part of my daily routines. And I'm listening to a, a number of podcasts. And that's something I really enjoy, particularly in the evenings when I'm tired mm -hmm. and don't want to read anymore. So, yeah, that were our main project pillars. And um, I have to admit, when I came here uh, all the way from Beirut, Lebanon, uh, to Doha, Qatar, my initial idea was as a scholar, okay, we work on a book or maybe a, a special issue of a journal uh, and study like the World Cup, um, how it's impacting politics and society of Qatar and the wider region. Uh, and we are doing that, and we can talk about this later as well. But our then dean, Ahmed Dalai, said, let's... Uh, develop a project that's contributing to constant knowledge production. And I think that's something that was new for me. I've never done this before. I was a very traditional scholar. I worked on, on my next article, on my next book, uh, but never produced, like, um, contributed to, like, knowledge production in the sense of that this would be interesting for, for like, journalists, uh, for example, who would do the reporting about the World Cup. 
So yeah, that was something new for me, and I think like big learning curve. But I think they have like a lot of original information. Right, exactly. Uh, in terms of content, in terms of the great people you interviewed over the last couple of years, we had some really interesting conversations. We had the national football team coach of uh, the national women's football team coach of Afghanistan. Right, that was I think that was our highest played uh, players, the captain of the Afghanistan national women's team, yes. and the, somebody from the American University of Afghanistan mm -hmm. who relocated from uh, Kabul to Doha. Yeah, I think that was our top podcast. Uh, yeah, wow, maybe because episode. also it was published a couple of days before the World Cup. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Excellent. Well, I enjoyed the podcast series very much, and it was very accessible to uh, lots of people around the world. I think in total we had something like seven thousand downloads wow. or listens, which is good. I don't know what that means on the scale of podcasting, but... Uh, I think there are studies that academic papers are read on average by 10 people. Mm -hmm. So if we compare this with such Excellent. numbers, it's really good. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, what do you think was uh, the biggest successes or accomplishments of the project? The World Cup in Qatar was, uh, on a global scale, a controversial issue. Uh, from the beginning, since Qatar was awarded the FIFA World Cup in December 2010, for a variety of reasons, sport-specific, Qatar-specific. Um, and um, I think um, when we look back at the debate, so we had some Western presses who were like hypercritical and often also dealing with Qatar in an unfair way. And then the response from Qatar was uh, like the yeah, public relation from the Supreme Committee. And there was not much in between. And uh, I think that we provided a nuanced analysis. We didn't leave out any controversial topic from migrant worker rights to women's rights, sustainability. All of that was discussed in the research initiative. But we didn't do this with bias and prejudice. Um, and um, so, um, and also, <clears throat> there is a lack of open debates within Qatar. So we contributed globally to, to like nuanced um, um, uh, positions on the World Cup, but also within Qatar, there's not much of an open debate. Um, when we look at the Reporters Without Borders 2022 ranking, Qatar is ranked 119 out of 180. And, and the reason for the low rank is that Reporters Without Borders say that um, covering domestic political issues remains a real challenge for journalists. And of course, there are some notable exceptions, which I would like to mention, like Doha News or the, or the English section of the Al Jazeera website. I was recently interviewed by an English-speaking radio station, QBS, which was also fine. Um, but, but overall, I think um, from like reading everyday newspapers here, um, this assessment is, is not wrong. So I think we, we set new standards for like a free, open debate within Qatar. Uh, also by including lots of local people. So uh, lots of our podcast conversations uh, were with Qatari. Uh, lots of the blogs were written by people who live in the country. So I think we, we set a new standard for um, openly debating also sensitive issues. And I strongly believe that for Qatar's overall objective to become an advanced country by 2030, as stated in the Qatar National Vision, such debates are important and help to improve society. Mm -hmm. What I love about this project is that it had so many different audiences and we did so many different things for different audiences. So we had blogs that were easily accessible. We had podcasts that were open to the public, also open to experts and academics. 
Um, and we also had a more traditional lecture series uh, with scholars, academics, experts, and so on. So in our lecture series, the most attended event was an online panel discussion that had about five or six uh, participants in it. And it was titled, How Has FIFA World Cup 2022 Changed Qatar? Uh, so I'd like to ask you the same question now. How would you answer that question? Yeah, I would like to answer the question, but first to follow up on what you just said. I think, uh, as you said, we had involved different stakeholders, mm -hmm. including students. Mm -hmm. And um, also, for example, when we look back at the podcast episode with uh, female Georgetown students who play football mm -hmm. and shared their experiences, I think this is quite of like original information and um, maybe more worse than reading <laughs> a couple of like articles or books uh, about the topic. Um, <clears throat> so I think um, that uh, when the uh, influence um, of uh, the World Cup uh, um, on Qatar is discussed that the influence of FIFA is a bit exaggerated in the discussion. And this country had a vision starting the 1990s when a new leader took over. And of course, with the export of LNG starting in 1997, Qatar also had the means and resources to, 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 to do like tangible changes uh, in the country. So <clears throat> when we look back at Qatar's history, most major developments started in the 1990s be it Qatar Airways, Al Jazeera, the Al Udaid Airbase, of course, very important for the country's national security. And last but not least, Education City, where we're sitting here now, started in 1999. Georgian started 2005. The Qatar National Vision was published in 2008. So <clears throat> lots of these changes have been initiated before the World Cup. So this country has a vision. And... Um, This does not mean that the World Cup had not an influence on Qatar. Um, and I think particularly big was the influence when it comes to migrant worker rights. So there were lots of discussions after Qatar was awarded the World Cup. Uh, human rights uh, organizations rightfully criticized the treatment of uh, migrant workers in the country. I think it was not always fairly communicated that the kafala system was not a Qatar sink. It was something common in the Gulf. Uh, but anyway, the criticism was um, uh, right. And um, I think with like all the debate around the situation of the migrant workers, lots have lots has changed. So there was a plethora of uh, legal steps to improve the uh, living and working conditions of migrant workers in the last years. Of course, one could argue they came a little bit too late after most of the infrastructure was already built, but they came and made Qatar a pioneer in the region. So we have seen since 2020 the first minimum wage in the region. We have seen the dismantling of the kafala system. So workers can now change jobs without needing the approval from the employer. They can leave the country without needing the approval from the employer. The summer working hours have been expanded where outside work is not permitted anymore. This is very important. Everybody knows who has lived here for a while in summer. It's really warm and the humidity is an issue. So that's really a groundbreaking reform. And hopefully it will be also adopted by neighboring countries where far more migrant workers live than in Qatar. So I think all of this had a big influence. And now, of course, the challenge is proper implementation. Um, and uh, that the, the reform continues. But certainly, I would not know any other mega sporting event in the world that uh, has improved the life of so many people as the World Cup did in the case of Qatar with the migrant workers. Mm -hmm. 
so in addition to the migrant worker topic, uh, migrant worker rights topic that featured heavily in general discussions about the World Cup and including in our own research project, what other issues did we, uh, or, or, or did you lead? Because you are the faculty lead of this project. What, which other topics did you suggest uh, that we should study? I think by numbers, uh, most contributions uh, after like migrant worker rights have been on, on women's rights and, and female sport. So these, these two issues. And um, um, I mean, we have 70% of our students are women. And um, um, uh, women have made uh, lots of progress in the country. They're entering the labor market. And um, uh, the star of the government, Loiba Echata, is a woman. So uh, there are lots of success stories. Um, but um, um, when we look at the legal framework, Qatar is lagging behind with a guardianship system that treats women as uh, children until the age of 25, where they need approval for basically anything apart from the driver license, which they can obtain now without uh, their guardian's approval. That's one of the few changes that have taken place. Uh, but when we also look at Saudi Arabia, where <clears throat> the guardianship system was revised now in the, uh, from to the age of 21, um, Qatar lags behind here a little bit. And I just, my argument I'm always uh, bringing up is that I say <clears throat> that the legal framework needs to catch up here with reality. That's because the reality is our students are women, um, are mainly women. We have women working in, in important jobs, um, very visible in society. So that's certainly a challenge. And um, this we have discussed like in a number of like, um, podcast uh, episodes and, and blog entries, but also female sports. I mean, here is a bit uh, um, 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 strange situation. There's, there's lots of uh, support from the leadership of the country. Uh, we had also the case that our uh, uh, CEO of Qatar Foundation was running, for example, a triathlon in, in Germany, um, not being covered while doing it. And um, so the, the state has invested a lot in the infrastructure uh, for both men and women to practice sport. Uh, but here we have cultural obstacles. And um, so many families uh, do not want that their uh, daughters would do sport in front of men. This is particularly, I think, the issue. And uh, so this might be like a generation, I think, to, to change this. Um, but I think it's also important to pragmatically dealing with it and to provide spaces where women can do sports without the presence of men. So in the latest stages uh, of this project, under your guidance, CRS created a working group uh, titled Qatar's World Cup Goals Moving from the Periphery to the Center. Uh, can you explain a little bit about how that project differs from uh, the Building a Legacy project and what are the aims of this initiative? Yeah, I think in general, when we look at sports, we see a rise of the global south. So um, we had a FIFA World Cup in South Africa. We had now in Qatar. Um, we have um, a golf airlines sponsoring sports clubs uh, around the world. Uh, we have uh, China building soccer stadiums around Africa um, to, to gain influence there. So there are lots of examples for the International Cricket Committee after being based 100 years in London, moved to Dubai. So there's so many examples for the rise of the Global South. And, and Qatar, of course, is like kind of a champion of the Global South. 
and and also got lots of praise from countries of the global south for the successful hosting of the FIFA World Cup. So, but we are looking at the project specifically uh, on Qatar and want to analyze to what extent um, Qatar moved from the periphery to the center of global sports and politics. So, and of course in sports, Qatar is hosting uh, mega sporting events since around 30 years. In 1993, there was the first ATP tennis tournament in the country, won by Boris Becker, a German, I need to mention, as a German. And so, so many mega sporting events happened here, Asian Football Championship, Asian Games, uh, World Athletic Championship, World Handball Championship. Um, now we have the Formula One. So Qatar certainly moved to the center. And um, it's not the end, the World Cup. It might be even more because now with, with COVID and the uh, Russian invasion uh, into Ukraine, which affects energy prices, uh, many countries are struggling. But, but Qatar and other Gulf countries, they have the resources um, to, to continue hosting such events. And, um, and the political will, of course, which is important. So, but, but we cannot see sport uh, um, separately. We also need to see general political developments. For example, Qatar is, as the U.S. ambassador to Qatar recently said, a force for good in international affairs uh, from being a mediator in, in conflicts uh, to evacuating lots of refugees from Afghanistan. Uh, and, and many uh, Western embassies have relocated from Kabul to um, to um, Doha. So, yeah, there are many indicators that Qatar moved from the periphery to the center. Um, but, of course, it's not just copying the model of the West. And there are also, like, lots of unique characteristics which we are analyzing in this project and also areas where um, we see more changes than in others. And, uh, yeah, that's a topic of the project. And this follows the typical CS model of a working group where we've met twice in person, first time to discuss research gaps. Um, so we invited both scholars from uh, Qatar and from uh, uh, international universities who were specialized on, on Qatar, like just to drop a name, Christian Ulrichsen, for example, who is like very famous for his great book he wrote on, on the Gulf blockade. Um, and 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 but also scholars from from Qatar like Ross Griffin from from uh, Qatar University for example uh, or colleagues from other um, education city universities like Susan Dunn from Northwestern so it's a good mix of like local and international scholars and we had this first meeting where we were discussing research gaps and then uh, identified topics to research on and then the second meeting where we were meeting to discuss the drafts of the papers And now we are in the final stage of the uh, project and working on a special issue of a journal. We are hopefully make a unique contribution to the scholarship on Qatar. Wonderful. Uh, so now we are concluding this particular project. But just tell us a little bit about the future and why you think Georgetown University in Qatar should continue studying the role of sports in society. First of all, because I like studying that. <laughs> um, but um, no, I think when we look at the facts... Um, I think there is maybe no other country in the world that uh, where sport has become such an important domestic and foreign policy tool. It's one of the key niche areas of Qatar as a small state uh, to gain international profile, 
to build relations with other countries, but also for other purposes, such as contributing to its national security. So it's a central domestic and foreign policy instrument for Qatar. That's one. Then second, um, I think the main problem of all the discourses on the legacy of mega events is that legacy is always a term to justify costly events and investments. But afterwards, everybody forgot about it. And we can see that the history of mega sporting events, if we look at the Olympics in Greece, for example, which left many what we call in the social sciences white elephants or infrastructure that's not being used anymore. So I think it's a chance for us as a uh, research institution to, to, to monitor whether uh, all the good promises that have been made on the reuse of the infrastructure are um, um, kept. But also, you know, there are some people who claim that like all the changes for the domestic workers, for example, this was just show and public relations for the World Cup. I don't think so. I think the leadership of this country is strongly committed to improve the life of the migrant workers. Uh, but that's also something that's important for us to look at, um, whether the uh, reforms um, continue. And last but not least, we are in the unique position that we are a university from the U.S. with a campus in Doha. Uh, this World Cup has been in Qatar. The next World Cup will be in the U.S. in 2026. So, of course, we can also look at uh, lessons to be learned for uh, the next World Cup in 2026 and um, study uh, both events. And I'm personally teaching in the fall term a cross-campus class um, where um, we will look at the 2022 and 2026 World Cup. So it's a chance also for members of our community, in this case students, to, to learn from each other's experiences and to look at also the different issues around soccer, football in both countries. And um, yeah, this is certainly something that I find interesting. And um, the, the next World Cup will be hosted in the US, Canada, Mexico, but most matches will be played in the US. And um, so the co-hosting seems to become quite common in international sports. So maybe it was the last time that a World Cup is in just one country. And it also remains to see whether Qatar will use sport as a tool for improving its relation with neighboring countries and maybe co-hosting sporting events in the future with other countries in the region. Uh, we share one land border with Saudi Arabia, so that would be like a natural fit, for example, to have events with Saudi together. And that's also something of interest to study in the future. Wonderful. Thank you for your leadership of this project. Uh, and this will be our 28th and final episode. And should you wish to listen to all the other episodes, they are available on all the common podcast platforms. Thank you, Daniel. And um, any last words? No, thank you, Susie. I tremendously enjoyed uh, working with you and the other colleagues from CS on this project. It was really a unique experience for me. And I learned a lot. And uh, yeah, I just hope that all the people who uh, were consuming our content uh, also enjoyed it. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs>